Well, hello there. It's time to connect with Lacey Nelson. I'm producer Brandon from the Rob Anybody and Don Show. Thank you for tuning in on Rad TV. If you're joining us live, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if you want to get involved and engaged in the conversation and connect with us, feel free to email us at rad at radradio.com. And uh, we got a very special episode today. It is October, and in honor of that being Breast Cancer Awareness Month, uh, Lacey, you have two special guests, but uh, let, let's get started. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. Of course, you know breast cancer is near and dear to my heart. Uh, last year, Rob and Christine and Don and everybody at the Rad Radio Show had me ugly crying on live camera because they so graciously donated over $10,000 to local Sacramento treatment and testing efforts for men and women fighting breast cancer in our area. And um, if you didn't see that episode, please, I'll, I'll try to link it later. You guys can see what an amazing show of force from our Rad Radio crew and just people coming together um, in honoring others who are fighting probably the most intense and challenging thing they will ever go through in their lives. And it is important to mention that breast cancer doesn't just affect women. It does affect men, too, probably not as prevalent. But uh, we'll learn today what breast cancer looks like. It's, it's not necessarily breast cancer because the cells can be found in the chest wall. So that's how men get diagnosed, too. It's actually in their pectoral muscles. Um, it takes one cell to turn into breast cancer. So um, don't be embarrassed, men, if, if you've been diagnosed with it and it is, it's something you're facing or dealing with or have dealt with. It's a conversation that needs to happen, too. Uh, we actually, last year with Paint Sacramento Pink, work with a male doctor who had breast cancer himself. And so it can get anyone. Um, women are not the only people, although I believe, Cherie, correct me if I'm wrong, one in seven women will be diagnosed with breast cancer. That's the current statistic. I believe that is correct. So one in seven women will get breast cancer in their lives. And what I learned last year through Paint Sacramento Pink and the Alby Aware Breast Cancer Foundation is that it doesn't matter your age, your ethnicity, your background, whether or not you have family history, uh, whether or not you're healthy, none of that matters. You can be diagnosed. We had women in their 20s who were mothers, no family history, get diagnosed with breast, breast cancer. Um, we actually met a young Chinese woman who said that in the Chinese culture, they didn't talk about breast cancer because they never got it. According to her family and culture, they didn't get breast cancer in the Chinese culture, and lo and behold, she did, and many do. Um, Danielle beautiful young lady that we met last year through Paint Sacramento Pink. I know through meeting her and some other beautiful young black women that it's also not widely talked about in the black community. Breast cancer is just not discussed in our ethnic cultures and Hispanics the same way. Um, so we're here to kind of bring that taboo topic to the table because it doesn't matter, like I said, where you come from or what you look like, you can get breast cancer. And we're not taking away from other cancers. I've, I've had people say before, why do we spend so much time, money, and effort on breast cancer? There are other cancers, and there absolutely are other cancers. I think um, breast cancer has just become the topic for mainstream. And in my view, if it brings attention to any and all cancers, prostate, ovarian, lung, any type of cancers, then it's worth it. So we need to have the conversation, and if it makes somebody else go get checked out for any type of reason and they find some other type of cancer, then it served its purpose. So without further ado, we're going to introduce our guests, Cherie and Danielle, 
two of the most amazing, strong women I have ever met. If there's a word that comes to mind with these two, it's resiliency. Um, I got to watch Cherie go through her second bout with breast cancer and fight and beat it. And um, I'll let her tell her story. But what was amazing to me is that when Cherie was 34, got diagnosed with breast cancer the first time, they did a double mastectomy, which means removing both breasts. And she chose to do reconstruction, which means getting implants. And even still, got breast cancer. So there were many questions as to, you don't have breasts, how did you get breast cancer? And I'll let her talk about that. Danielle's a young mother in her 30s and got breast cancer almost out of nowhere. And um, we were there for her immediately following her double mastectomy surgery. I don't think I've ever seen anybody in so much physical pain in all my life. It was heartbreaking. And Nyla, excuse me, Her beautiful daughter had to watch her mom go through this and help drain drains coming out of her breast after surgery. This is why we're talking about it. It's not you that gets me, it's Nyla watching your daughter see this. So, um, Sheree, I'm going to let you go first. Your first, um, your first bout at 34. And the stuff you went through to even just get diagnosed and get in to get your surgery, people need to know. Because if you had not been your own advocate, if you had not had LB Aware Breast Cancer Foundation, you would have died. And that's a fact. Because they sent you off. They sent you away. So can you tell us about that? I can. Um, I was 34 years old and found a lump. It felt like a little pea, just right underneath uh, the skin here. Um, just one evening, accidentally in the shower, just rushing through, you know, just trying to get cleaned up. Found a lump. What, what is this? So, I, you know, I got dressed. I got my phone out, and I text my, my best friend at the time. I said, uh, give me the speech, please. I just found a lump. Tell me it's nothing. Tell me I have nothing to worry about. It's all good. And she got back to me and she said, well, yeah, it's nothing. You're too young. It's, it's nothing. Okay, great. Well, the next morning at 8 o'clock, I was on the phone calling my doctor's office just in case. And fortunately, at the time, I had a great nurse practitioner uh, whom I just adored. And she had always taken such great care of me. So she was able to get me in. I, I want to say the next morning it was. Um, went in, laid down on the table. I showed her where I felt the lump. She said, okay, well, let's just, let's just start from the beginning here. So she did um, a breast exam uh, and started on the left side uh, where I did not feel anything, any lumps. And she said, hey, I don't feel anything on that side. Okay, let's go to the right side. And she said, hmm, I actually feel two lumps. Oh, okay, interesting. I, I had only felt the one. And she said, it, it probably is nothing. Um, again, you're young. You're in good health. It's probably nothing, but let's go ahead and send you for a mammogram just to be sure. That right there is step one, and thank goodness that uh, she she did that. Um, so within another 24 or 48 hours, I had an appointment to have a mammogram. Had it been your first mammogram? First one. Okay. I was 34 years old. Um, the The rules these days vary anywhere. You know, don't get your first mammogram until you're 40 or 50, 45. I'm not even sure what, what the correct 
um, age is right now, um, contact LB Aware. They can give you the specifics on that. Um, but yeah, I went in, had a mammogram, and it's funny that uh, the supervisor of the mammography department um, immediately upon seeing that I was this young 34-year-old woman there alone just um, attached herself to me and just walked me through the entire day and it's 12, 13 years later and she is to this day my best friend. Um, But yeah, I had a mammogram. They imaged both sides and then they put you in a waiting room. Like, okay, go sit out there with your little gown on. Probably the longest 10, 15, how many minutes of your life? Well, I, honestly, at the time, I was just such a workaholic that I was I was more annoyed that I was missing work. Like gotcha. I had stuff on my desk to do. So, you know, I wasn't stressed about it at this point. Um, a very easygoing person that, hey, whatever it is, it is. Can't change it sitting here. So sitting in the waiting room, the, the uh, tech comes in and said, um, okay, we're going to go ahead and do an ultrasound on you. Okay. So they take you in another room, you lay there, you put your arm up. It, at this point, you've lost all sense of, you know, dignity, if you will. You're no you're privacy. sharing, no privacy. Right. You're showing your breast. You get to the point where you're like, I don't even care. Just do what you got to do. And so, Sorry, yeah. but at this point, the only sign of you even having anything is yeah. the lump, right? You don't, yeah. feel, there's no other symptoms that, no, that, are, that arise, right? Nothing, nothing at all. And uh, they did the ultrasound, sent me back out in the waiting room. Okay. Now what? And a little while later, one of the techs came and got me and said, well, the doctor wants to talk to you. Now we know it's probably not a good idea. They wanted a couple more images, uh, mammogram images. So they did that. Then they took me in and showed me the screen, two big screens, and showed you what looks like, you know, like an x-ray of, what the hell is this? I don't even even know what I'm looking at. Um, But I could tell. Mm. Just in the... um, the ambiance, just in the way that they were talking. And and the text, they won't tell you anything. They know. They see this all day long. But they won't tell you. They can't. Uh, so I respect that. Um, but uh, the radiologist said, this looks like breast cancer on both sides, which is relatively uncommon. It, I believe it's 4% of breast cancer diagnoses are bilateral. And so, yeah, they said they'd have the the actual radiologist uh, take a look at it, uh, do the accurate readings, and make the diagnosis. And, yeah, so I went back to work. And and that was that. And then um, they wanted to do a biopsy. So they did a biopsy a couple days later on the right side and sent that off for testing. And while that was being tested, they did the biopsy on the left side to see what we had going on there. The results on the right side where I had the lump came back is kind of, uh, they called it atypical ductal hyperplasia, which is uh, like a one to a five is is how they they scale it. You know, a five is breast cancer. A four is like stage zero breast cancer. It's just the cells are there. So this number three, they called it, um, was like, oh, you have these weird cells that could become breast cancer but so it was um unsettling a little bit because we knew that there was something there the other side the left side came back as yep you got breast cancer there okay so maybe the findings on the right weren't correct they were something had happened they weren't accurate so they did another biopsy on that side 
I was still bruised and, and hurting from the previous biopsy, but they did another biopsy and got conclusive results this time that yes, I did in fact have invasive breast cancer. 34 years old. Uh, the only family history would be my paternal grandmother. My dad's mom was my favorite grandma, uh, favorite person in the world. Uh, she was also 34 years old when she was diagnosed. Uh, she was not expected to survive. The doctors back then told her, you know, uh, your husband's going to raise his three kids, the, the three kids uh, by himself. Don't ever let him see your scar, all that kind of stuff. She lived to be 90. Wow. So that's that's where I get my warrior strength from, I believe. Um, But yeah, that's the only family history. So, and that's not, you know, and I, and I'm learning how that works too with, you know, the family linkage, Mm -hmm. your paternal grandmother isn't where you get necessarily breast cancer. You would get it from the maternal side. Hmm. So ironically enough, who knows if that has anything to do with it? Well, I'll tell you down the down the road. Um, I'll jump ahead to what the actual my my doctor who I I to this day see. She took all of these things as there are no coincidences. You're 34. Your grandmother was 34. Um, there's it. There's too much of a coincidence here mm-hmm. to ignore. So whether or not it it is a factor, we don't know. But let's just not ignore it. So. Diagnosed, um, they set you up for a, a surgery. They say, "Do you have a doctor?" You, I'm like, yeah. no, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> what kind of doctor? What, what? Yeah, where do you even start? Mm-hmm. They're like, "Well, pick one of these two names." Okay, <laughs> pick a name. Like pulling a name out of a hat almost. Um, and I was sent to a county hospital. Um, again, thirty-four years old. Paternal grandmother had this. I had bilateral breast cancer. I'm just going to put this out there for anybody who is diagnosed. Do your homework. Do not just listen to what a random doctor or scheduler tells you. Mm-hmm. Do your homework because there is no way uh, that I should have ever been at a county hospital with a general surgeon to take on my case. Mm-hmm. Get yourself a breast surgeon, UCSF. Stanford's any UC Davis any of these Sutter some were good um not to say that county hospitals aren't doing a good job correct and, and we don't want to take away from right. county hospitals but a general surgeon isn't a specialist correct in uh, breast cancer or prostate cancer or correct who, you know you want to ampu- you need an amputation they're they're right you need a specialist for this type of thing correct and again especially considering all of the, the factors that I had going on um, a specialist was definitely where I should have been. Um, but what they recommend at the time, you know, he, he goes through my file and he says, okay, you're young, you're healthy. This is great. We'll do a, a bilateral lumpectomy, which is where they go in and they try to preserve as much of the original breast tissue. And, um, they want to keep you looking, you know, like you have breasts and, mm-hmm. you know, I was 34 years old and single and hoping to, you know, get married someday and find the right person. And it's a big part of being a female is, you know, your breasts. And I said, okay, lumpectomy, great. And he's like, yeah, do that, some radiation, you'll be fine. You'll you'll be just fine. So we scheduled that, uh, I think it was like two weeks later. And I had a couple of friends 
who were there with me that day in the waiting room. And I, I didn't have any fear. I wasn't nervous. It was just like, let's get this done. I've got stuff to do. <laughs> and he came out during surgery and told my friends, all is going well. Looks like we got it all. She's going to be just fine. I woke up from that surgery in the most horrific agony of my entire life. I had no painkiller mm. in my IV, nothing. My friend who was with me was in tears and uh, could not stand to watch me. I, I was in so much pain, I, I couldn't cry. It hurt to cry. And we had to page the doctor to get a Vicodin. Um, it eventually got to the point where I was admitted. They were going to send me home, um, but we had to fight a little bit, and they admitted me overnight with a morphine drip. And even then, it was still painful. Um, after recovery, you know, a, a week or however, whatever time frame, it's been a while, so the dates are kind of scattered. But um, they send you to an oncologist who talks to you about um, medicines and possible chemos and all this other kind of stuff. But before this individual did that, he said, I'm going to send you to a radiation oncologist. Okay. So I get an appointment with a radiation oncologist and this, I credit this doctor with, um, with saving my life and getting me on the right path. Um, she, Dr. Rue, Dr. Rue. Yes. It's at her. She looked at my file and she said, wait, how old are you? You have bilateral, wait, your grandmother and it's invasive and, but, she literally, I remember her closing the manila folder. She says, I'm not even talking to you about radiation. I said, you need a mastectomy, at least on the right side where it was more invasive. Um, the left side is a little more up to you, but you need to get out of that county hospital and go to UCSF or somewhere where there is a breast specialist. And that was that. She referred me to another medical oncologist for a second opinion who essentially said the same thing. And I went back to the county oncologist and said, okay, um, I'm going to need a referral to UCSF. And this individual didn't like that, but went ahead and put the paperwork in. And I spent the next several months um, fighting doctor's offices and insurance companies trying to get an appointment at UCSF just for a consult. Because at this point I had realized uh, – he, the doctor, the surgeon, had left cancer in my chest wall. Oh, wow. When he came out and told my friends that he got it all, he did not. That is uh, devastating. Yeah, so all during these three or four months where I'm trying to navigate this. One, I'm working full-time. Um, I have cancer in my chest wall, and I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. How am I supposed to get better? Mm-hmm. How do I get this fixed? Um. So I, I became my own advocate. You, you just have to. It's a sad reality, but you have to. And I did. And I've been known, and I've been called stubborn and, you know, maybe strong-willed. A maybe a little. <laughs> maybe a little, yeah. In a good way. In a good and way. I, yeah. And I'm okay with it because it saved my life. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I fought the insurance companies when they said, no, you have an oncologist in network who will take care of you. I'm like, no, no, I don't. Um, I, at this point, had decided that I... I needed and wanted a double mastectomy with immediate reconstruction. That was a personal choice for me, but I am 
legally I have the right to to get that. And I pay my health insurance bill and um this doctor's like, mm, I don't I don't cut into people if I don't have to. Oh wow. I remember that quote to this day. I, I forget a lot of things due to chemo brain, but there are certain things I remember word for word. And somehow cancer was not a reason to? Apparently not. No. Um, and so I fought and I fought and I just became an, a thorn to them. And he finally put in the referral with the insurance company to um, have me seen at, a, at El Camino Hospital down in Mountain View because I had a family friend who had a connection there and had set up an appointment for me. And um, the insurance company denied it. So I fought them on that. And they said, no, you have, um, you have a doctor who can do the surgery. I said, no, I don't have a plastic surgeon. I don't have a breast surgeon. And I'm not having the same general surgeon do my double mastectomy. No. What's next? And so I went and I spent $300 out of pocket, wrote this doctor a check for a consult, and I knew immediately, that's the doctor I want. Mm-hmm. She went through all the pathology, the history, understood who I was as an individual um, and, and what my case needed. And she said, I'll take care of you. And I said, I just want to be around long enough to watch my kids grow up. And my kids, I'm, I always wanted to be a mom. But uh, at this point in my life, I, I had, hadn't yet become a mother. And so my kids, I call them, they're my nieces and nephews, my two sisters. There's eight of them. And they were uh, 18 months to 13 years old at that time. And I told her, I just want to see them grow up. She just looked at me and she said, it's my job. My job is to make sure that you're here for another 30, 40 years. I said, okay, you're the doctor I want. She's my doctor today. Dr. Single. Yes, Dr. Uh, Shomley Single, El Camino Hospital um, to this day. Anything that pops up and any question, she is my go-to. She saved my life, and she's done it twice now. But, um, yeah, so I fought, and I fought the insurance company. I reached out to Albie Aware. I um, was familiar with the organization and uh, knew the founder, Doug Carson. Um, he was a good friend. And uh, they they joined my team and uh, took it upon themselves, and they got me to receive the treatment that I needed down at El Camino. The insurance company listened to them and said, uh, they called me the next day. The medical director of this insurance company called and said, we've learned from your case. We essentially screwed up. Mm-hmm. And because I got lost through the, in the cracks. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll cover you wherever you want to go. And I did. And I went down to um, Mountain View, El Camino Hospital. I had... Uh, Dr. Single performed the double mastectomy and Dr. Shaheen Fazalat, uh, immediate reconstruction, fabulous doctors. I woke up from that surgery almost with a smile on my face. <laughs> I've posted links before. You can see the, the two photos side by side and it's unreal. The difference good quality healthcare makes mm-hmm. in this journey and all of this side stuff that you have to go through just to get the basic treatment to save your life. Mm-hmm. Is insane and nobody should have to do it by themselves i have to say imagine if we're dealing with someone who isn't intelligent or educated doesn't know how to fight for themselves is scared of the big companies big big phone calls like that doesn't have the 300 dollars out of pocket um all these different factors nobody to help them they die 
they die. They just die. Just defeating. Def- yeah, yeah, because there's nobody to stand up for them, you right. know, and you knew what to do, but most and maybe a lot don't, you know, and number one, you're facing potential death. Mm-hmm. Yes. Y- you've been told you have cancer. I don't care what kind of cancer they tell you. Yeah. You have cancer. That word in and of itself is scary as hell. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden, somebody's not walking you through the process. You're having to figure it out, mm-hmm. you know. It's scary. You don't know what to expect. And what's scarier these days, especially with what's happened with the pandemic, how many screenings have have been put off? How many surgical procedures have been put off? Mm -hmm. I mean, it'll be years till we really know what the impact of all of this is. But now more than ever, it seems like it might be difficult to to advocate for yourself. Absolutely. And I will. This is part of why. well, let me tell you, my, my older sister was diagnosed five years after I was. Um, and her journey, she she's more private about it. Um, she went through and did double mastectomy and because of the family history that we now have. and um, But she's she's very quiet about it. She supports me 100% in my advocacy efforts and whatnot. Um, and I wear pink. I wear pink bracelets. I never take them off except for surgeries, which they make you. <laughs> um, I will post about breast cancer events and I'm very very active um, in the breast cancer awareness community and there's a reason is because I was given that journey and that trial in life I believe because one I could handle it Um, it wasn't easy of course but I could handle it and it gave me my life's purpose which is to make sure that nobody else fights this alone or has to endure this journey alone which is part of how and why I was able to meet Danielle and hopefully me going through my journey um, taught me the things that have allowed me to help others and to continually do that. And by wearing the pink bracelets, it starts a conversation. It will always start the conversation and that's where it has to begin. So I got this email from Kelly to that point. She uh, asks, if I'm the person, if I'm the support person for someone with breast cancer, what's one piece of advice for me? I want to be there for her, but not be overbearing. So how do I do that effectively? That is a very good question. And I'll tell you, it's easier to be the patient than it is to be the caregiver because I've been on the other side Mm. and it's hard. I've had people ask me this question before and I'm like, um, well, what I tell people, uh, if they're specifically talking about breast cancer, I, I jokingly, and not really jokingly, but um, I say, bendy straws. It's really hard to take a drink of water when you're laying on the couch and you can't move. You can't move your, am I right? You're absolutely right. You cannot move your muscles because it hurts. So I, I say, start with bendy straws. Wow. You can't solve all their problems. No. Just make them comfortable as yeah. best you can. Something... something just be there for one. Mm. Keep your phone on 24-7 because it might be 2 a.m. when, oh, yeah. you know, somebody's mm. like, I'm scared or something hurts. This is normal. Being available mm. is important. You know, gift packages of, you know, some comfy socks or a comfy sweatshirt, a little blanket, just something so they know that you're thinking. It doesn't have to be expensive. Who has money these days, you know? Yeah. But something, um, a text. Just mm. check in on them. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Those were my favorite. Yeah, I would send her a text, just checking on you. How you doing today? You drinking your water? You know, how are you feeling? What do you, you know, what do you need? And people stubborn like myself will often say, I'm fine. I don't need anything. Mm-hmm. But even what, that text message is helpful. Yes. T- you know? It is helpful. Yeah. But know your people. Yes. And, you know, bring them some ice cream. 
Yeah, mint chip ice cream right? <laughs> never hurts. Oh, mint chip, <laughs> right? Favorite. From Vicks, it's yeah. the best. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I'm just gonna throw out there because we have a woman in our lives who um, is one of my heroes, and she's a private person. We're not even gonna throw her name out there, but um, because of her, we were able to do paint Sacramento pink last year. Absolutely. Her graciousness yeah. and her beauty in the world of just selflessness. Mm-hmm. She too is a breast cancer survivor and wanted to give back in a bigger way and started Paint Sacramento Pink and Sh- and Sheree was co-founder and of course I did all the community work that's how I got seen for that um but to her and like I said I'm not going to throw her name out there thank you we thank love you you. Absolutely. you brought us all together yes. and um helped save so many lives and so because of that effort we met Danielle last year and yeah. Danielle being her own advocate we were at an event and all of a sudden this cute little feisty spitfire of a woman walks up and says, I've been following you guys on Instagram. Stalking. And, yeah, stalking. She actually used that word, yeah. yeah I've been stalking you guys, and, and here I am. And I was just diagnosed. Yes. And how, two weeks before, three month or whatever it was before we met you? Yeah. It was right it was there. Right before a month. And how old were you at that time last year? Um, so I had the lump about 35. Um, I found it at 36. Okay. And that's when I got diagnosed. Where'd you find yours? Cherise was up here in the chest wall just to note, because as women, you know, I was under the assumption we'd check underneath, maybe in the armpit a little, but it was way up on the top. And so where did you find yours? So mine was in my right breast, um, a little bit under the areol- areola side. Um, and it was a lump. And it felt like a ball. Um, I pressed it. It shifted, but it came back. So it didn't just move all over the place. It just kind of just went like eh, like that. And stayed there? And stayed there. Okay. Yeah. And you found it where? In the shower? No. Actually, I was in Vegas um, for my birthday. And um, I was going to a pool party and putting on my swimsuit. And I was like, hey, this doesn't feel right. And I had three other friends with me. And I'm like, hey, come over here. Feel this. Like. Am I, you know, bugging out or something? And they all felt it. And they're like, no. And jokingly, one of them was like, oh, they're going to cut your breast off. You know, and we laughed. But then the reality was two days later, like, I had to go back home and check it out. Mm-hmm. And sure enough. Yeah. And so you had a mammogram. Same, so same I had, story. I had the ultrasound first. Well, my doctor, she told me it was just mass tissue. And I said, well, you're not a specialist. You know, so I need you to refer me out. So she referred me out to get an ultrasound of the right breast only when we have two. So I ended up having to go back for a second time to get the left side done. So, yes, I did the ultrasound. Um, I did the mammogram. I did um, biopsies, which hurt so bad. So I've had them on both, both sides. Biopsies on both? Yes. And yours ended up being... Um just the right breast so the right side was um invasive ductal carcinoma stage two um the left side it wasn't cancerous but it was a term called PASH which is very rare but they said over time it could turn into cancer so um I that's when I decided to just remove both of them do you so you did a double mastectomy yes. too any family history for you none 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 first Same. one first one mm-hmm. what did your mom say Nothing. Nothing. I mean, what can you say? <laughs> you, you can't say anything. You know. Yeah. And how did you, and your daughter, Nyla, 
who we're going to mention because Nyla is amazing. She is absolutely amazing. You're she's, not a, spit- she's a spitfire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nyla's a spitfire. Yeah. Good luck with she's keeping the, Nyla tame. She's the kid advocate for breast cancer. Yes. She is. Yes. She, she is. is. Uh, she started a little thing herself online called Nyla's Way. Oh, nice. How old is she now? She's no. eight. Eight. Okay. Yes. Going on 20. So. <laughs> wow. Um, easily. Yeah, easily. So with Nyla... She was your support for Absolutely. You know, I mean, you had some great friends around. Yes. When we showed up, we saw some really great people there, too, that I've gotten to know. Mm-hmm. Um, but Nyla was your little rock. That was it. She helped you, cleaned you, took care of the house a little bit yes. as an eight-year-old. That was an immediate grow-up time, you know, yes. for her. And um, how's she doing now? She's better. Okay. Um, she just yesterday came home and, and told me that... Um, so she has pink hair now she, for the month of October. Nice. And she wears her pin, you know, and she lets other kids know what it means. And so yesterday she came home and she's like, wait, your, a kid said to her, your mom has cancer? And she goes, no, my mom had cancer. Good she had her. breast cancer. And so she is able to elaborate on it. At the time she was seven. And um, the first thing I thought was, I'm not going to be here for her? Whoa. You know, like that just... That's not going to work out. Yeah, yeah. not at all. That's I was just like, yeah. yeah, and so I was like, I have to be here for her if anybody. And so um, the next step was I wanted her to know. I wanted her to be involved. I wanted her to understand, and I didn't want her to be scared. I didn't want her to hear cancer or breast cancer and and go into, like, a little isolation mode, you know. I wanted her to hear that word and be able to say it doesn't have to be a death sentence. And she's doing great now. Good. Yeah. We just got this email um, from Brianne. She says, this is for Danielle. How did you explain this to your daughter in a way she could understand? How did she do during your treatments? Sorry, this is like so... It, this is new. It, it, it's still fresh. Um, so my daughter is very advanced. She's very smart. She loves reading. So... Um, I showed her books. I went and got kid books, breast cancer. Um, I Her favorite color is pink. So I turned it into something more fun for her, whereas, like, my favorite color is purple. So I said, hey, now we both could wear pink, you know. Um, I showed her people who survived it. Um, she came around. These are her aunties. Yep. <laughs> she came yep. to the events um, all of October last year. She was at every breast cancer event that I was at. Um, if they called me, she was right there. Um, so she got to see that breast cancer, um, you can still have it and survive. You can beat it. And that's all I told her, you know, mommy's going to beat this and we got this and we did. And you, so you had the double mastectomy. Yes. No chemotherapy. I did six months chemo. That's right. You did do the six months chemo, but it's not always, um, needed Sheree. So people don't understand, you know, and I, I had misconceptions too. My late aunt passed away in 2003 from ovarian and cervical cancer. Mm. And I was only 18 and, um, she was like a second mom to me. So all I knew about cancer was it's terminal no matter what, you know, because Mm -hmm. as a young person, I saw my best friend suffering for a year and then die in front of me. So I, when I hear the term breast cancer, I'm like, Oh my God, they're going to die. And I learned that no, they freaking don't die. Right. You know, um, some do and God bless them and rest in peace. Some do and not to their own fault or whatever, but early detection is key. Absolutely. If you get it when it's small enough and, and you can treat it, then you can beat it. 
Um, but I did learn that all cancers, all types of breast cancers are treated differently. So yes. some could have the, the single mastectomy. Some could have the bilateral mastectomy, which both. Some go through chemo, some don't. Some go through radiation, some don't. And um, some go through all three, like Cherie last year. Um, did the yeah. full chemotherapy situation, uh, which was insane. You know, all these drugs that they pump into you, mm-hmm. it starts out every two weeks, and then it's every week. And um, the the drugs that they, they're nuts. They you know, it, it's literally, you know, Poison. it starts and your hair's not falling out. And I'm like, maybe your hair isn't going to fall out. Maybe you got lucky. My aunt, her hair never fell out, mm. even through wow. chemo. So it was a very rare thing. She never lost one hair. Um, and like literally day 14, like day 13 was no hair falling out. Day 14, hair's coming out everywhere. And so for everybody, it's different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's good to know that your journey will be individual to you. But at the end of the day, you have all these women who have been through different things. And that's why you guys are here. So you can stand up and fight for people. Yes. Yeah. And just one of the things that's, that I like to share as I'm a two-time survivor now, um, I always, I had a high oncotype score. And there's a lot, this is a lot of information, but um, again, contact us. We can help get you to the right people to understand these things. But knowing that score, I knew after the first diagnosis that I was in a high risk for recurrence. Um, So I always knew that it was possibly coming back at some point. I figured 20, 30 years down the road, you know, Um, I didn't expect it to be 11 years. Hmm. And I found a lump in the same place. This was... um, well, I found it in September of 2020 and uh, ignored it for a month. I was busy. Don't do that. I know. Don't ignore it. I know better. But um, I just got I got busy, and I knew I needed to go get it checked out. But um, I did. I went back, saw Dr. Single, and she knew immediately. She said, I'm so sorry. It's back. And I like, all right, well. I asked her, I said, am I going to die from this? And she said, no. It's not going to be fun. It's going to be worse than last time. But no, you're not going to die from this. Okay, let's get, let's get at it. Telling my sisters, um, making that phone call, uh, my little sister, Cheryl, <laughs> this day she's like, what the hell do you mean you have breast cancer? You had a double mastectomy. You don't have any breasts left. Right. I think she's wrong. And she loves Dr. Single. But she says, I think she's wrong. I don't, I don't think that's what it is. She says, what, you have like chest wall cancer or something? I said, actually, yeah, because it takes one cell. One cell being left somewhere mm-hmm. in the chest wall. And with my genetic makeup of what my tumor was and whatnot, Breast cancer came back, even to somebody who had a double mastectomy. So please, even if you're a survivor out there, continue to do your checks. Mm-hmm. Continue to be an advocate and just be aware. You know, none of us are are escaping this. You know, um, if we find it early, very good chance it's treatable. Yes, and that's why we say start that conversation early. Get the mammogram. Are mammograms expensive? Without insurance. Yeah. 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 Even with insurance. And that's, um, I mean, that's a whole other podcast topic uh, that you could have is the expense mm-hmm. yeah. of dealing with cancer, short term and long term. Mm-hmm. Um, but thanks to people like our friend who we won't mention, um, 
she wanted to do something to help other women. And so she donated a few thousand dollars to Albie Aware Breast Cancer Foundation and thought maybe this will help a little bit. And um, down the road, you know, a month after that, she and I sat down and had coffee again. And I told her, I said, okay, that helped get X number of, of women or men mammograms that are potentially saved their lives. And she's like, wow, I didn't, I didn't know that, the, wow, okay, I need to do more. And so she did. She wanted, and that's what Paint Sacramento Pink did. And every dollar that was raised went to Albie Aware, which um, allowed for more and more people to get mammograms or, and the testing that they need, the diagnostic testing um, that will help get them on the right track to getting treatment. Yeah, and, and we'll say, um, you know, because of Paint Sacramento Pink, throughout the year of 2021, over $70,000 was raised. Wow. And because of her generosity, every single dollar went into the treatment and testing for locals. And so, um, you know, she didn't take an overhead. She didn't have a profit. That was the beautiful thing about that organization and that foundation that, that we were all a part of. Uh, just because, you know, none of us got paid, nobody, nothing. It was all donated time and money on her part. And, um, has yet to understand the amount we may never know how many people's lives have been saved because of that mm -hmm. just to be able to get that mammogram Absolutely. and either have that peace of mind that no it's not breast cancer i'm good for a while or i do have it what's the next step you know and and that's why we that's why we're doing this podcast mm -hmm. you know um mm -hmm. and i'll and i'll say another thing about breast cancer that i have seen is you're told you're in remission amazing thank god i survived this horrific journey you know i have to stay on top of certain things forever mm -hmm. i have to go back more than most people and get checked out and and all this kind of stuff but a whole nether journey begins that it's behind the scenes after the breast cancer is gone that people don't realize and um you know we don't need to go in a big long discussion but i just want to recognize our survivors for what they continue to go through the fatigue is unreal i have like mild or maybe not mild ADHD, you know, I'm very, very hyper, <laughs> go figure. And so I'm constantly going, 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 um, to watch their fatigue level in remission is it's like heartbreaking for me. Cause I don't know if I could, I would be depressed with that. Um, but they continue to push forward and keep going. You still got to get up. Okay. You're in remission now. Let's get back to work full time. You're in remission now. Let's get back to, you know, cleaning the house and taking care of the kids or whatever. It doesn't work that way. They're so tired. Mm -hmm. um, lymphedema sets in. Um, What's that? I can tell you a little bit about that. Um, the My first time I had breast cancer, I, I had three rounds of chemotherapy, did not need radiation at the time. This last diagnosis, I did have actually Danielle and I had the same chemo treatments. You do four, we did four rounds of what they call AC, it's adriamycin cytoxin. They the red also devil. call red that the devil. red devil. The red devil, yes. and it it's is horrible. It's it's bad. That sounds horrific. The red it, devil it is much, horrible. Yeah, and that is that's every once every three weeks for four rounds, and then you switch. We switch to Taxol every Friday, or for me it was every Friday for twelve weeks. Right. And then I endured radiation, um, and that was terrible. Uh, you know, more trouble just going there every day. Um, but the radiation, after 30 treatments, um, has it destroyed the lymph nodes under my right arm. Mm. And the lymph nodes in your body help. They move all the bacteria and all the bad stuff around and out so it can drain. And when those lymph nodes are damaged, 
things don't drain properly. So my right arm, I was having all kinds of just sore. My arm's falling asleep. I can't raise my arm. What's So I went back to Dr. Single, and she did an ultrasound and immediately said, you have lymphedema. Let's get you to a specialist. So I spent all of 2021 um, doing Pain Sacramento Pink events, doing chemotherapy, radiation, all this kind of stuff. And then I've spent since then dealing with lymphedema, which your arm, your hand will swell. Um, again, I have it very easy compared to some individuals um, who, who develop this. Um, but it makes life tough mm. because you're in pain mm. every single day. The drugs that we have to take to keep the cancer away kill your joints. Mm. You know, your bone density is shot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, I wake up in the morning and my hands are just so sore I can barely open and close them. Working full time for anybody after a, a diagnosis like what we've had to endure, Lacey's right. I don't think people understand the physical, not only the mental, but the physical pain and endurance that we have to go through um, just to get through the day, yeah. let alone do anything above and beyond. Just getting through the day is exhausting. Are you eventually able to not take medications? Or is it is this a, a lifelong thing to keep the cancer away? Each case is individual, of okay. course, and talk to your doctors, obviously. Um, mine, I will be on this drug for 10 years. Wow. I am 48 years old currently, and it all has to do with hormones and mm-hmm. um, estrogen blockers and things like that. Again, you gotta, you've got to become a doctor or a scientist to understand half the things that are happening to you unless you have a group of people around you, survivors, um, who, and organizations like LB Aware who can help explain things and walk you through this. But, yeah, there, I had a phone checkup with my doctor, uh, my oncologist down in the Bay Area, and he said, are you still taking the anastrozole? I said, yep, every night. I said, good for you. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> like, oh, okay. You <laughs> Because it sucks. Because he knows it sucks. And I'm like, oh, you know this sucks. (laughs) Okay. And it does. But you know what? What's the alternative? Yeah, getting it back. And and you took, and I'll just, and you're taking an Astrodrol too or something else? Not at the moment. Not, but you will be. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you're going to need to. It's important, I think. But you have to, you, for some people, you have to consider the quality of life. Yeah. You know, it gets to a point where you're like, if I can't function mm-hmm. just on a regular daily basis and take care of your your kid, I mean, that's a whole other conversation to have as well. But mm. I took tamoxifen, which is, again, there's the, you know, uh, it's all based on menopause and, again, hormones and things. So premenopausal and postmenopausal. But the tamoxifen is what I took before. And I took that for five years, and then they said, Let's take it for another five because the tests show that that could be beneficial. So I did. I stayed on it for another year, and then my body said no. I started having all kinds of health problems and issues, and I stopped taking it. And three years later, I was re-diagnosed. Wow. So it's like, hmm. What gives? Yeah. Well, you know. What's, what's going on there? Mm-hmm. But each case is different. Um, Lacey, I know this is your podcast, and you're directing traffic here. But, um <laughs> Something you mentioned early on uh, was about how the the black community doesn't talk about this mm-hmm. and I think is underrepresented um, in the care that they get. And I know I had to fight for what I 
what what I went through, and I was fortunate to be able to get good health care. The, the hardest thing for me in anything that I've endured was the day I went to Danielle's after her surgery and walked in her front door and saw her. This was four days, five days post-surgery. post-surgery. She is at home. Forgive me for spilling no, your, no, you're your story here. No, I'm going to let ahead. you expand on this, but saw her on the couch, still in her hospital gown. She had not left that couch since she got home. She couldn't. The pain, I could feel her pain. And having been in that situation, knowing what is okay and what is not okay, first thing I said was, where's all your paperwork? This is not okay. This is not acceptable. Yeah, four or five days after double mastectomy you're not going to feel good but it was like she was dying it was near death you know and and danielle i mean do you think that's true being in in the situation you were facing do you feel like you know and maybe we're speaking at a turn you know because we we don't know from experience but do you feel like um black women in this instance are underrepresented it you know maybe just in general with medical care and i'm not saying it's all on purpose you know um Maybe it's just education that we all need. But do you feel like you were treated differently, maybe, or not given the care that you think that, you know, you should have? Um, overall, I, I think that it is misrepresented, yes. Um, I honestly don't know how I would have turned out without knowing you guys and another individual who actually called an ambulance for me. Um, for me, it's not talked about in our community. Um, I think more so, and I'm just speaking for myself. I think, um, embarrassment or just don't know how to talk about it. Um, not that I have anyone in my family that had it, so I don't know who would say anything to me, but, um, yes, my care was handled absolutely wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, and you guys were there the entire time. But after my surgery, I was literally in the same pain from surgery for two weeks. And mm-hmm. it was to the point where I thought I was going to document my journey. And I couldn't. I was just like, I couldn't move. I was stiff. I slept on my couch. Seated, seating up. Like this. The you entire know. time. My feet start swelling. Um the pain, it felt like a cement truck was just sitting on my chest. And I kept telling my doctor that, you know, I'm in pain. And even in the hospital, they put um, medicine in my IV. And I was just in so much pain. So they upped it. They gave me three different pain things and they weren't working. And finally, like the third week, I got a tiny little pill that worked three weeks later. And it was horrible and I'm still trying to not show as much pain because of my daughter you know because she's sensitive and so her seeing me cry and her seeing me down and getting taken to the hospital you know that was really different for her really yeah having been in in and around breast cancer with so many people knowing the pain that she was in something wasn't right and so we were able to get an ambulance and I rode with her in that and and I could feel every bump with her every 
you know, I joked about the bendy straws, just drinking the thing in water, just going over a little pothole in an ambulance when you're in that much pain. Hell. So when you called your doctor to explain how much pain you were in, was it just straight up negligence that they were just just brushing you off? Like, um, I would say 50-50. Okay. Um, their defense was, well, we don't want you to get addicted to the painkillers. Gotcha. And, and when I expressed to him that they're not working, I can't get addicted to something I'm not feeling. You know, I'm in excruciating pain. And I'm not even like, I don't take pain meds, but that was like, give me whatever you got. Yeah. And even going to the hospital that day, when I got there, um, I was there for hours. And um, they gave me a shot in my thigh. And that was a fentanyl. And, you know, all this stuff going on about fentanyl. So I told him, I said, I don't want that, you know. Right. And he goes, no, no, this is different. You know, mm. you're you're okay. So he gave me that, and it worked for about maybe maybe 30 minutes to an hour. And then they literally sent me home in a Uber two o'clock in the morning by herself by oh myself. My and I literally just had a mastectomy and I was, and my driver, she was horrible. She's driving. Like she got from Mac road to Bradshaw in like seven minutes. And oh, I, I and I'm just like, <laughs> you know, so Unreal. it was, it was bad. Um, so I would say, yes, some, some is negligence, but then the other is they're going off, you know, past experience of people getting hooked on sure. painkillers. Yeah. You know, and, and I and to wrap our show up today, it, just to people in the medical field, thank you. Yes. Because thank you. we do know that people are doing their best um, and navigating things that we'll never understand as not medical field people. Um, to some of the doctors who have saved your lives we can't thank them enough and they continue to do this amazing work through all of you and paint sacramento pink i've met some doctors and nurse practitioners and these folks in the medical field you know even the snack cart lady who pushes snacks around (laughs) Mm -hmm. the chemo room and hands out crackers and pretzels and stuff like god bless them because they are they are doing the work of a saint um to save lives and they truly do care you know they're underpaid underappreciated working 12 hours 16 hour shifts and we just love you guys so much so thank you for what you're doing thank you to our friend who saved so many lives last year and continues to and to the extent of we will never know we love you so much um if if you are at all a ham your name and face would be all over this podcast too. <laughs> yes because um, yes. we love you to death. so just thank you for who you are as an individual and you know i will say this if you're out there dealing with a diagnosis um, you're in the middle of your fight, you've never had a mammogram and you don't know what to do or wherever you are in your journey and you have any questions for these beautiful ladies or anybody else in the community because there are events, there are breast cancer events, not just in October. Um, they're doing stuff all year long for breast cancer and you just want to be around a group of women that have gone through what you've gone through. Um, just want to go get coffee or lunch with a bunch of these women. Um, they do that. So send me an email and I'll make sure that it gets to them and they will get to you. Um, Lacey at LaceyNelson.com. And, you know, just let us know what you need. If you need some support, I've never had breast cancer, but I know a ton of beautiful warriors who have now. So, um, we'll get you in the right place. And and that's what we're here for. 
and uh, let people know at Rad Radio here the work that they have done for breast cancer and for me personally. I can never thank them enough to, for not the monetary donation that was given to us last year because money goes far but only so far. It's it's the love and support that they continue to show me and all the people that I know in this this journey that I have to make the world a better place without Brandon and Kyle and Rob and Don and Queenie and all the folks here at Rad Radio, uh, we could not do these things and bring this awareness. And I think this podcast is going to save somebody's life. I feel it. Yes. I feel it. So um, I am, I don't know why I'm so freaking emotional today. It's you guys. It's, it's, it's the touchy. It's, be, it's because you took care of both. Yeah. Before we wrap this up. Yes. I'll tell you when I, I had just met Lacey. Uh, when I was re-diagnosed. I met Lacey in September, and I was re-diagnosed in October. My uh, my honorary mom out in Woodland, Pam, a survivor herself, unbeknownst to me at the time, pulled Lacey aside and said, look, this journey she's going on is going to suck. It's hell. And you're either in or you're out. Mm-hmm. And if, you, if you're out, you're out. That's fine. Right. No harm, no foul. You're in, you're in. You are not leaving in six months in the middle of her journey. And if you do, I will kill you. <laughs> and if you know Pam, Pam, she would have. She's and not I, kidding. My point, my point being, having just met this woman a month beforehand, she was at every single appointment that I had while she was working full-time. Her days off were my chemo's days, and she drove me to the Bay Area for those. Um, so I think it's emotional for her because she went through it with me. She went to every Cain Sacramento Pink event and rocked it. rocked it and helped to care, take care of other individuals so that here we are today and we can share the word and hopefully help save more lives and connect more people. Yes, we are. Can I piggyback really fast? Um, I also want to thank these ladies personally. Um, literally a couple weeks before my surgery, they were there, not no questions, had their phones on, was ready. Cherie drove all the way from Marysville to Sacramento to go to my chemo. She couldn't come inside. She had to sit outside and just wait hour, hour, two hours. You know, you, you don't find people like that. And when you do, you keep them. Lacey, awesome. You know, her and my daughter, they are kumbaya <laughs> buddies. <laughs> Take the kids out. She loves the kids, you know, but yeah. they have been literally in my corner and I call her my breast friend because we are breasties. <laughs> we, we are. You know, you, you, once you go through this with somebody as closely as we have, yes. you're instantly family and yeah. you're connected forever. Absolutely. For sure. So it's very So true. thank you, ladies. We love you too. And Brandon, thank you. Oh, thank you. And to further piggyback on what's already been said here, and we've been saying a lot of, we've been talking about a lot of the awful experiences that you've both been through and, um, just to stress that it, with these stories, th- this is just proof, not proof, but necessarily it's it's more of like, man, I'm getting emotional here. <laughs> it's more about the fact that you do need to be an advocate about uh, yes. uh, for yourself yes. and you're not alone. And there are these organizations like I'll Be Aware and Pink Paint Sacramento. Is Paint Sacramento Pink still? No. No, it's not? Okay, but no, I'll Be Aware No, it was a lot is. of work yeah. for a handful of people to do with full-time other lives. So we were blessed to, to do it for the year okay. that we did in 2021. So, you know, quit while you're ahead type of thing, I right. guess, you know. But <laughs> down no, the road. Down the road, maybe. So, she, she may decide to do something with it. Um, but, yeah. 
for now, no. And I'll be aware. Is that still hundred percent fu- yes. fully functional, and people can get resources there? Albeaware.org. Yeah, got it. Or yeah. reach out to Lacey, and we'll connect you. Yeah, I, I'm just so grateful for both of you sharing your stories. And I have um, my girlfriend has an eight year old daughter, and so Danielle, your story was really touching to me because I can't imagine having to go through that at uh, home. So um, you're an amazing woman. You're an amazing you. mother. And I'm just so grateful that you are both still here and you out there, you're not alone either. If you need help, reach out to Lacey, mm-hmm. reach out to albeaware.org um, and you can win this fight. Yes, you can win this fight. No doubt in my mind that you can. And you don't have to win it alone. You don't have to sit at home and cry alone. We'll come cry with you. Clearly, we all cry. So <laughs> yes. We'll come and cry with you and, and bring you some ice cream and a bendy straw. So, yep. Um, you guys, thank you. Uh, two weeks from now, two Fridays from now, we have a good podcast in store. A goo. <laughs> a few days before Halloween, it's going to be a spooky podcast. Yes. I can't even give you a hint yet because we're excited to get it set up. But if you like spooky things and haunted houses and the paranormal, the paranormal stuff, I mean, just wait until the 28th on that podcast. Um, I've got some pretty neat secrets about things that I've done over the last 15 or so years with the world of paranormal activity and stuff that I've seen and experienced. So we hope to maybe have some cool guests on that podcast. We'll see. Um, So we'll keep you guys posted for that. If you like scary things, tune in and um Find us on Instagram, Rad Radio. You can find me. You can find us on Facebook. I started a TikTok. I don't really know what I'm doing yet other than <laughs> watching, watching videos. videos. I know how to watch the videos for way too long in the evening. Um, but, you know, if you if you have some TikTok experience and you want to help Brandon and I, if, you, if, you, if you're good at filming and we're trying to make a commercial, yeah. we're going to make this thing, we're going to take this thing to the next level, this podcast. So I can't wait to see where we go with it. But um, connect. That's our podcast, and that's exactly what we do every time, every episode. Find us online, social media, and we will see you guys in a couple weeks. Thank you. Mm